Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. Thank you for listening to the podcast yet again. Today on the podcast, Natalie Baker. You know her. She's a regular contributor to the family, the Meditation in the City family. Uh, She's a psychotherapist based in New York. In addition to being a meditation teacher and Shambhala Buddhist teacher, this was a talk she gave at a weekly Dharma gathering earlier this week. The title of the talk was, What is Constant in Life? I know if you're like me, you probably think uh, getting unsolicited phone calls is constant in life. Or uh, losing your headphones. That's another constant thing in life. I'm sure you can come up with your own list of things that you might experience as uh, seeming constant. But what did the Buddha say was constant? This is a talk that gets into some of the foundational teachings of Buddhism. Visit our website, ny.chambala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Our introductory meditation weekend, which is called Shambhala Training Weekend 1, Feel Human Again, is coming up next weekend, actually, the weekend of September 14th through the 16th. That's Friday night, Saturday, and uh, half the day Sunday. You can experience extensive meditation instruction in a retreat environment with uh, talks and teachings and one-on-one instruction as well as group uh, discussions. It's uh, a powerful weekend, a great opportunity to dive in and deepen, strengthen, or begin your meditation practice. For more information and to register, click the link on the homepage at ny.shambhala.org. For Shambhala Training Weekend 1, Feel Human Again. Okay, here is Natalie Baker. So I, I thought that since this is the, the back-to-school season, um, that, that we could uh, take that attitude uh, and look at the fundamentals of what the Buddha taught 2,600 years ago. And this, this topic actually is a favorite of mine because I feel like it's a topic that you can apply to your everyday, all-day experience and chew on it and see where it takes you. So coming into a new tradition, for those of you who are new to Buddhism or new to the Shambhala tradition of Buddhism, it's very helpful to um, start the way that we start um, in any school situation, which is to be a good student. So what does it mean to be a good student? If you were, if you were the teacher teaching a class, what, how would you want your students to come into your classroom? You could just blurt things out. We don't even need a mic for this one. What would you be looking for? Attentive. Great. What else? Curious. Curious. Yes. Open. Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Not with cell phones. <laughs> Great. Yes? 
Oh, she's like, no, I was scratching. <laughs> exactly. So with that in mind, to, I want you to just watch your mind as I present this material to you. And I want you to notice, like, am I open? Am I curious? When do I disagree? And to just pay attention to how you are as a learner. Because I'm sure there's going to be things I say to you this evening that you're going to go, what? No. And to just be aware of that. And if you can, sort of suspend that judgment and just be like, hmm, I wonder why the Buddha taught that. Like, really? So tonight's topic um, is a topic that the Buddha presented after, shortly after he attained realization. So in the tradition of uh, awakening, spiritual awakening in the Buddhist tradition, we talk about this term enlightenment, right, or becoming awakened. And so I'll just say something about that, just so it's not just some mysterious words that we can all just project onto. So uh, when the Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree in his meditation practice, his goal was to understand what is the nature of existence? Why are we here? What is, what is the nature of my being? Is there a way to transcend suffering? And what he discovered was, we've got it a bit wrong. And that actually the nature of reality and the nature of our being is very different than how uh, we ordinarily experience it. And so in this state of awakening, he discovered both how things appear and also how they actually are. And in that state of awakening, which includes some pretty miraculous abilities, um, such as omni omnipotence, being able to understand all things spontaneously, um, being able to know uh, all past lives, if you can go down that road with me. So the state of awakening wasn't just like, ah, oh, I feel good but actually within it contains some very profound qualities and abilities. Transcending death is another aspect, you know, which for you and me are pretty like, you know, hard to put our minds around that, that we could actually have that kind of understanding that that's possible. But as the, the story goes or as the history goes, uh, the Buddha, as he sat and came to realize the true nature of reality, when he did, he also had these abilities arise. So then after he attained realization, he had this sense that he didn't have any confidence that he could communicate through words to his students what this realization really is. So for a while, he was silent, and he sat in meditation. But eventually he got over it and decided that he could uh, communicate to his students in a way that would be helpful 
in guiding them to have the experience that he had. And one of the first things that he presented to his students was uh, the topic that we're gonna talk about tonight, which is what are called the three marks of existence. So the Buddha wanted his students to know that there were a few things about their experience or the experience of being human that everybody has. And that it would be helpful for us to all be aware of what those experiences are, what those marks of existence are. Anybody know what they are? Hmm. Okay, gotta speak a little louder. Awareness. Well, awareness is good. It's in, it's required. Yes, actually, that is a mark of existence, but that's not one of the three that he talked about. So keep going. Impermanence. Change. Things. Yes. What was that? Non-self, selflessness, yep. And in the back. Dissatisfaction. See, you guys, you guys can give my talk for me. We got all three. Okay, so let's take a second and just pause and just note these, these were the three things. Impermanence. Everything is impermanent. Everything is changing. Okay, now I want you to think about what in your life do you think is permanent? Just see, go through a whole, go, go do the list. Like think about things that you really like that you would like to have be permanent. I know What's permanent? There's always going to be change, and that's permanent. You're good. <laughs> that's right. Change is permanent. Yes. Say that again. Is the ocean. Okay, that's a good one. So how is the ocean either permanent or impermanent? You can argue either one. But I'm going to actually, we're going to use the microphone for anybody who wants to answer this. So how is the ocean either permanent or impermanent? This gentleman here. Right here at the... And if you can say your name, too, before you speak, then people can get to know you. I don't think it's working. Yeah. Is it on? Hi, my name is Yanu. Uh, I think the ocean, I think of them as composed of waves, and the waves are impermanent. So the ocean is impermanent. The waves are impermanent? So the ocean is. is so the ocean is therefore impermanent? Well, what, what happens to the ocean? Does it stay constant? No. 
although there is this body, right? And if over the next 2,000 years, if it's still here, you went down to the southern tip of Manhattan, you looked out, you'd be like, well, the water's still here. He's shaking his head. Are they the same particles of water? No, right? Okay, uh, let's take your body. Is your body permanent? No, it's not. Right, so that's very interesting. Because how do we normally think about our bodies? How do we feel about aging? Right? We're sad. Right? We're sad. We resist this. So let's go back to what the Buddha went through. Right? So the Buddha sat under the, the Bodhi tree. By the way, he'd been meditating really for many, many, many years, all day, every day. So it wasn't like he just sort of sat down and had realization. Right? He worked his butt off. But he had this profound experience. And then he said to his students, I want to just point something out to you. Nothing is permanent. And here is this glowing person, right? So we got to imagine this person who, you know, comes across as pretty darn sane, saying to you, you're impermanent. The ocean is impermanent. Your life is constantly changing, right? No two days are the same, actually. No two emotions are the same, right? Constantly changing. And so maybe that's not a problem. Because how we ordinarily interpret the experience of impermanence is that it's a problem, right? My aging is a problem. The fact that that person doesn't love me anymore is a problem, right? I can't get the bagels I love anymore. It's a problem. So what if you could notice change. Oh, the subway. Oh, yesterday it came at 7 and now it's 10 after 7 and it still hasn't arrived. Oh, there's change, right? But instead of our habitual response to that, which is to get upset, to become fearful, what if we just saw it as workable. Change happens. Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's not a problem that we die. Right? That's a pretty shocking thing to say in this culture, right? Where you bring up death in a conversation and people think you're being rude. 
But the truth is, we're all going to die. So the Buddha wanted us as practitioners who are trying to understand better the nature of ourselves, the nature of reality, to really make note of the fact that everything is constantly changing. Pay attention to that. Don't shy away from it. Don't be afraid of it. Okay, on to number two. Being unsatisfied with what is. This is also called uh, suffering. But I actually prefer, I think, to think about how fickle your preferences are. How we're constantly, in every moment, doing this thing where we either like it, we don't like it, or we're eh, sort of neutral. Constantly. And if you think about point number one, right, which is things are constantly changing, and then you notice that your mind is habitually having some sort of preference, and how painful that is. Because why? Why is that painful? What's that? Oh, yes, thank you. Because even if everything was just the way you wanted, it's going to change next moment. Mm -hmm. That's right. Even if everything is just as you want it, it's going to change. And yet, we have this very strong habit constantly approaching our experience from either liking it, disliking it, or being somewhat neutral. We're never satisfied with what is. We have no confidence, zero confidence for the most part, that things are just fine as they are. So this is an interesting thing to pay attention to, because usually we're just acting it out, right? We're just acting out that moment-to-moment -moment preference and thinking that it's somehow meaningful, somehow helpful to do that. Oh, there I go again. I like that smell out there, but I don't like the smell in here. Right? Constantly judging. And the third constant of our existence, selflessness. Now this one, really, it, it uh, 
it could use a good couple of hours. Um, but I'm going to just talk about it very superficially. And then we can talk about it in the discussion or if you want things to read. But this is a very, very, very important point. So what does that mean? That the mark, a mark of our existence that's always present in our relative experience is selflessness. Okay, what did your mind just do? Right? Did it go, well, I have a self. I exist. Did it object? No. Did it go, ah, thank goodness. So it's good to notice how your mind reacts to this idea. Because for most of us, it's slightly scary to think, like, what, are you saying I don't exist? I'm sitting here. I'm listening to you. Oh my god, if I don't exist, what does that mean? Is it like some voidness? Should I feel embarrassed right now? Because I was thinking I exist. This is how I contemplate this topic, which I hope you will do. So part of the path in Buddhism is that we are balancing presenting ideas. So just in the same way, Buddha had profound realization and then was like, wow, I want my students to experience this as well. So I'm going to say some things to them that I hope will help guide them to this experience, this realization. So how we practice the path in this tradition is that we take the, the lecture, the content, and we then start to think about it, right? We contemplate it. But then we also start to find it in our own experience, or not find it in our experience. But the whole point is that we work with it. We don't just go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to believe. OK, it makes no sense to me, or whatever. It's really meant to be contemplated and also uh, found in our meditation practice. So. We're going to talk about selflessness from the point of view of something you do experience or you have experienced so far, which is your own meditation practice. So when you give yourself the instruction to go out with the out-breath, even in this second, I want you just, just for the next like 10 seconds, Give yourself the instruction to go out with the out-breath. Okay, what happened? And, and I'm not looking for a profound answer, but really, literally, what happened? You started to tense up? 
Oh, here's the mic. Thank you. I became more aware of my, like hyper aware. Like, oh, whoa, big deal, out breath. And were you always having that thought? Well, there is the, you noticed an experience, right? Sort of like this hyper awareness. And then you had a thought, oh, I'm kind of being intense about this, right? But when you were first having the experience, were you also having the thought? No, probably not. No. So I want you just to now think about that in your own experience. I want you to go back to just that right after you gave yourself that instruction to go out with the out-breath. Can you find yourself in that tenth of a second? Right after you give yourself the instruction to go out with the out-breath. Is there a self there? What do you think? Or better yet, what did you experience? Yes? I was saying it was hard to follow the instruction because I wasn't sure what the self was. It was going to be going out with the out-breath. So it was hard to follow the instruction. Yes, what, what's going out? A breath is going right. out, but I'm not sure what else. What, what else is going, going out? Yeah, yeah, I love this topic. Yes. Openness. Just notice that experience. You used a word, right? Openness. What's the experience? Is it the word? Right, there's something we experience that we then call openness, right? Right, you had an experience and you went, oh, that's, I think that's openness. I'd call that openness, right? Yeah. In that experience, before you gave it the label, openness, can you say there was a self in there? No, it was different than thinking or feeling. Right. So it's like, hmm, I'm not sure if in that fraction of a second, I could actually say there was a self there in that experience. Hmm, interesting. Yes, gentleman in the back. I think I'm confused about two things. Mm -hmm. One is explain going out with the out breath and also is that a self there? I think itself is a very complicated question. I don't know what, what do you mean by that at all? What, what do we mean by self? Or is there a self there? Or is there a self there? Okay, yes. I, I, will, I, will, I will address what you said, but first I'd like to hear what this gentleman says and then. Um, I did feel a self 
I felt like my, the self or myself was attached or aligned to thoughts and processes, and as um, as the as there was an exit, myself that was aligned with all of these things, it felt like it tangibly moved as well. So it did feel like the self there was a transfer. Um, would you say that self was separate from or different from your awareness? No, I think it was, uh, it, they were the same. Self and awareness were together. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we're identifying some quality of wakefulness, awareness, that we maybe call a self, right? But outside of my awareness, is there something separate from my awareness that I can identify as myself? Right, which comes to your question of like, well, what is it to say, go out with the out-breath? What actually is going out with the out-breath? Is it like, yes, let's have the, well, how, right, how, how about we call the self awareness? All right, well, if we're going to, you know, and that's seems to be kind of a conclusion we're reaching here is that when we go, oh, I know myself, really what we're identifying is that there's awareness in that moment. Well, do we need to protect awareness? Does awareness need to lose weight? Does awareness have more value sometimes, less value other times? So if we go down this road and we say, well, self, actually, let's say self is awareness. Hmm. Well, we definitely think about ourselves in terms of liking ourselves or disliking ourselves. But if we're going to say that really as we examine it, that our self is really our awareness, should we like aspects of our awareness and not like our awareness when it's aware of thing, other things? So what you just said, why not? Why not? Yeah, awareness. You, you right. Well, well, what then determines the value? If, if, if we're saying, well, myself is like a flowing river, actually, right? It's impermanent, it's constantly changing, right? I can't, and it's really great, we can do an exercise where we can, we can contemplate, well, where is self in the body, right? Because we often point to ourselves, right, when we say myself. Well, where are you? Are you your entire body? If we remove your arms and your legs, what part of you is the self, right? How about if we lop off your head? and we have a torso and a head, which one are we going to call the self, right? This is what we do in Buddhism. We, we 
play around with things. But yes, you know, you should go down that river and think about, well, if I'm thinking of self as awareness like a river, where does self-esteem fit into that? Right? Liking oneself versus disliking oneself. A change involves, it evolves during minutes, sometimes hours. Right. And it's totally just like a, a river. And right. So just, by, just because you're not aware of your awareness doesn't mean that it's, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's good. It's good. No, no, keep going. This is, this is the process, is you have to give yourself permission to try it on, right? Be like, well, what about if I think about myself, like you said, as more like a river, and sometimes I like myself more, and sometimes I like myself less, but actually it's constantly changing, right? Hmm, well, what would that be like? A little bit more fluid, right? Yeah. Either one. This is a question, but I'm trying to follow what you're saying. Um, I guess what I'm realizing is that in that those ten seconds, mm -hmm. there wasn't a story, aha, uh -huh. or there was no personality. Right. I mean, I didn't do anything unique, <laughs> right? Or I didn't uh, do anything, if that makes any like specifically me in those 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm realizing that you mean something around being out with the breath, being non, being neutral or non, uh, uncolored in some way. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you're, um, you know, what, what the, when we go down the road of this topic of well, what is, how is it we arrive at the conclusion that there is a solid self if the Buddha is actually saying, not true, right? How, how is it that we're making that mistake, right? And, and you are kind of coming towards, through your examination of your experience, what the teachings say, which is that Usually, we're, we're in a narrative. Our awareness is actually kind of fused with our story. And we call that story who I am. And the Buddha's saying, maybe that's not so helpful. Right? Maybe that's not so helpful to constantly be in a narrative in order to create some sense of, I exist. That we could know ourselves just by the sensory experience of the breath leaving the body, which as you're noting is non-conceptual. There's no inherent words in that experience, right? Or as you noted, you had some experience and it went openness, right? The label came afterwards. So what we're doing when we give ourselves that instruction, which is a bit of a koan, right, to go out with the out-breath, the first part when we're a new meditator is we're struggling with, well, what does that mean? I'm noticing my breath. Oh, but actually I'm thinking. If I'm talking in my head, I'm actually thinking. I'm not actually going out with the out-breath. 
And so we struggle. The first part of, of learning our meditation uh, practice is struggling with the instruction. And more specifically, struggling with the difference between our immediate awareness and then our commentary. So for those of you watching the US Open, very different to turn the sound off, right? And not hear the commentators. And then turn the sound on, right? And there's that chatter. Um, I have two nephews, and there's a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Mm -hmm. And the five-year-old will sometimes just do what the eight-year-old is doing, even though he doesn't know what the eight-year-old is doing. So I'll go into the room because the eight-year-old is going into the room. What is he doing? I don't know. I'm just doing it because that's where he is. So sometimes I feel like, or I, not sometimes, just, just currently, recently felt like myself is the five-year-old mm -hmm. that is aligned to these bigger, more knowledgeable, more vast space. So what happens is there's this connection to those things that happens without even understanding why. And um, so, you know, when the out-breath experience happened, mm -hmm. what it felt was that there was certainly an awareness and it was mobile and myself had an opportunity to either remain in a particular space or go out with what the process or the awareness was. Mm -hmm. And in that particular moment just now, I, it was an exit because it felt as if, well, if awareness or thought process or these particular ideals are, are exiting or, or moving out, then myself has to go with it. So I found myself being uh, tied to the awareness and, and, and to change um, and didn't really, uh, didn't find a singular sense to myself in that particular moment. So that was something that was interesting and that was kind of brought upon by this conversation mm -hmm. in rethinking um, what the experience was. Mm -hmm. Terrific, thank you. I can totally appreciate that your, uh, your awareness can be a narrative, mm -hmm. but a narrative can be written, so you can write yourself a spectacular narrative, but yet you still feel duke, uh, you still feel suffering. Why? Because you've just wrote this. Your your awareness has just written us uh, a great narrative. So why would there still be suffering? And how well, would that? And how would that tie into uh, impermanence? Is it because your your narrative is always changing? Well, is your narrative always changing? I common sense would say, yeah, over a long period of time, your mm -hmm. narrative will change over a thousand times. But each time you'll win this, you can write a new spectacular narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can. And it's always changing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, with the whole question of mm, a mark of existence, our relative existence, and, and we're not even going to have time to talk about the difference between relative existence experience and absolute experience, but the Buddha was talking about people's relative conceptual experience, and he said, you guys, you're all suffering all the time. No, I'm not. Okay. Check it out. Right? So that's, that's our next instruction is to, so as good students, right, we try to remember what was presented, right? So what's presented is there's three marks to our existence, right? Things are always changing. Apparently, we're very fickle, 
and always have a preference. And out of that, we suffer. We're not actually content, right? That's what the Buddha is saying. And the third thing being, this thing we call a self, upon examination, doesn't actually exist. So then our job is to contemplate this, right? And we can argue with the Buddha in our head, and we can go, no, I'm happy. Right? We can... We should do that. We should contemplate this and think about, do I think this is true? Is this true in my experience? When hasn't it been true? And why are we talking about this anyway? How is this even a benefit to me to, to, to think about the fact that I'm going to die, for example, which seems like a very morbid topic? Why would that be beneficial? And then you come back to your meditation practice, which actually is the heart of how we come to the genuine answers, is through our own experience in our meditation practice. So what are we doing in our meditation practice? We're getting in our cushions, right? We're actually feeling our bodies seated on the cushion or wherever we are. We try to have relatively uplifted posture if we can muster it. And then we give ourselves a very simple instruction. to go out with the breath. Or you can give yourself the instruction to uh, stay with the entire cycle of the breath. But to be with what is. What's arising in the present moment? Our breath is arising. That's a reference point in the present moment. And then we notice that we get lost in dreams of thought. Very quickly, right? Very quickly. We give ourselves an instruction. Less than 10 seconds, we're gone. And then our instruction is very gently to label that thinking. So we're not interested in thought in our meditation practice. doesn't matter what kind of thoughts you have. Which is pretty radical when you think about the fact that pretty much all day long, we're obsessed with our thoughts. But here, we just very gently label it thinking, no aggression, right? Just gently label it thinking, and then place your attention, your awareness, on your breath. So what are the ways that you know the world, if not through thought. There are five ways. What are they? That's right, your senses. That's it. So we give ourselves the instruction to not be interested in thought. We're not interested in thought when we're meditating. 
but instead to notice the sensory experience, because that's all that's left, of what's happening in the present moment. Our breath in the present moment. And then we're going to have an experience. And that's it. It seems a little too simple, doesn't it? We must be pretty awesome if that's all we need to do. No, we don't believe that. Not at all. So I'm going to just end on the foundation of all of this, which again is a topic completely unto itself, which is that the whole reason this works, this meditation instruction works, is because the Buddha said that fundamentally our nature is sane. But the way that we come to experience our sane nature, our Buddha nature, our enlightened nature, is actually through letting go of thought, letting go of being distracted by our thoughts and allowing ourselves to be utterly and completely in the present moment, which means we only are experiencing the world through our five sense perceptions. Now, sometimes our feelings are very difficult, right? And they stimulate a lot of thoughts, right? Particularly if the feeling is pain. So it's not necessarily an, a smooth ride when we practice meditation because pain definitely will arise. But we don't actually have to do anything with it. We don't have to go into the narrative. We can be present. And why we can be present is because we have this fundamentally sane nature, which is what the Buddha discovered as he sat under the Bodhi tree. So while we uh, don't have a self, we have a nature that's sane. And so the next thought usually is, well, can't I just call that myself? So there's a book I recommend if you want to carry on this journey of understanding um, self and selflessness is uh, a book of uh, compiled uh, lectures that uh, Trungpa Rinpoche gave, who um, is the founder of the Shambhala Centers. It's called uh, The Sanity We Are Born With. And it's a series of lectures he gave actually to people who were in the mental health field. And he talks about how what happens from moment to moment that arises that we call the self, and he talks about what a nature or basic goodness, um, all sorts of nice, juicy topics. 
It's called The Sanity We Are Born With. It's a mouthful. Sanity we are born with. What are we born with? Sanity. Any last questions or comments before we break and have our refreshments? Are we enthusiastic about contemplating the three marks of existence? Are we like, eh? I got a thumbs up, an emoji. <laughs> we should start giving Dharma talks through emojis, symbols. Well, I do hope that you practice regularly, do your meditation practice, explore your mind 10 minutes a day, see what arises. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. Tell your friends about us. We're here every week, more or less. Email us at podcast at shambhalanyc.org. Your questions, comments, suggestions. If you live in a different city, there's probably a Shambhala Meditation Center near you. Look us up. But if you are in the New York City area, our weekly Dharma gathering is every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. You're invited. Okay? Later. <laughs>